ask that you would just open up your heart to the word that God gave him because the word that God gave him is a fireball word. And some of it's painful and it should be painful. Amen. Some of it's great and, and nice and encouraging and some of it's painful. But the word of God that's painful cuts away the dead and corrupting parts of our nature so we can live fully alive in Christ Jesus our Lord and thirst for his righteousness and actually live a life that's filled with the peace and goodness of Jesus. Is that good, church? Can we stand and give Shane a hand while he comes up here? Come on. Lord, bless Shane as he preaches in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys. You can sit down. Well, I'm Shane, and um, you'll have to forgive me. I apologize this morning, but this is pretty much my second time preaching at a church. Um, I usually preach in fields under a tree. Uh, at Bethesda Terrace when a hurricane is hitting. So I'm not used to preaching inside with lights and stuff like that. So it's very uncomfortable for me. Um, I'm just going to get right into it with scripture. Is that okay? If we start with the Bible. I just want to read a, a passage out of 1 Peter chapter 3. The reason I... Actually, let me back up. We did this 44 city tour. Now I planned this when I was a police officer and I'm going to start... I'll tell you my testimony, but the reason was because I believed that we needed to see revival, and God said, well, no one's going to ask you to do a nationwide tour, so just do it. So I said, okay. And the reason that I did it, though, is because the majority of the church at large, if I'm being honest, doesn't have a lot of hope, doesn't have a lot of faith, and doesn't have a lot of joy. And that really breaks my heart, because we're one of the only religions that I'm aware of that the person that we claim to serve is all of those things. And so I was reading this scripture during the tour and it just stuck with me and I started preaching it. And so we're in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's inside of you. Always be ready to give a defense. Now, that sounds like someone who's talking to people that are probably going to have to give a defense at some point, right? Like, he wouldn't waste his time saying, hey, make sure you're ready to always give a defense if they were never going to encounter that situation. For 25 years, I grew up in the church, and I never got asked about a hope that was inside of me. For 25 years, I grew up in the church, and the message that I heard was about getting saved so that I could get my name in a book, getting saved to go to heaven. The message was, listen, Jesus died on the cross, the whole thing, he paid for your sin. You need to pray this prayer so that you do not go to hell and so that you go to heaven when you die. Has anyone heard anything like that before? where it seemed like the goal of the prayer was to get into heaven someday. That's the gospel of transportation. Hell to heaven. Can't find it in my Bible. And all that's doing is getting some death insurance. You see, it's actually a self-centered gospel because it's saying, hey, I recognize that I don't want to burn in hell forever, so I better pray this prayer so that I can save myself at the end. Now, what happens when we pray a prayer to go to heaven is that we don't understand what we're being saved unto, and so we start to fill in the gaps along the way. Because now I've changed my destination when I die, 
I believe, but what is the rest of my life for? And I didn't really think about that for 18 years growing up in my house because life is easy. You just go to school and you go to church with your parents. And, and I liked church. Like, I enjoyed it. I, I, was, I, I enjoyed the worship. I enjoyed the messages. You know, my friends were there. I, I went to all the youth camps. I went to all that stuff. First weekend in college, and I'll say this, I was a good student. I, I had pretty much straight A's. I got a full ride scholarship to college. I didn't sneak out. I didn't drink. I didn't do any of that stuff. First weekend in college, I get invited to a drinking party. I'm there. I'm there. Why? Because it sounded fun to me. Like, I didn't get invited and have to go back to my apartment and be like, oh, God, you know, I don't know what to do. I know I shouldn't go, but this just sounds so fun, and just please help me in my weakness. That, that did not cross my mind at all. They were like, hey, Shane. And it, by the way, my friends who invited me were Christians, and that's how I judged my life. You see, because everyone in my life, I surrounded myself with Christians so that I would be living the Christian life. Because my mom told me, make sure your friends are Christians. Because if you don't have Christian friends, they're going to lead you to do things that aren't Christ-like. So I was like, easy, I'll have Christian friends. And then a Christian invites me to a drinking party. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great time. When are we leaving? Two decades almost in the church, and I didn't even have to think twice. Now, maybe I'm the only one here that something like that's ever happened to. Maybe that doesn't apply to you. But to me, I didn't really have anything besides a Christian confession keeping me from going to this party. Like, I didn't have a strong set of convictions. I had a bunch of Bible knowledge. I was a two-time state champion Bible verse memorizer when I was a kid. That wasn't enough to help me not go to this drinking party. Sounded like a lot of fun, so I went. And for the next seven years, I began to live a life completely out of my flesh while still proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I went through college. I had the whole college experience. I joined the military as an officer. I was 21 years old in charge of 80 guys in a special forces unit. I was in Washington State at the time. I jumped out of planes for a living, and I helped train guys to go to war. Now, I knew I needed to be in church because I grew up in church. That was my Christianity, like Christians go to church. That's what you do. So I got plugged into a church. I'd been practicing guitar, so I started playing guitar in the worship team. So now I'm playing guitar at a mega church in Tacoma, Washington for thousands of people every weekend. And I'm feeling the tingles during worship, and I'm crying sometimes, and the songs are just hitting me just right. And six other days of the week, I'm out drinking with my friends. I'm partying. I'm sleeping around. But it didn't really feel that weird to me. Why? Because everyone around me was doing the same stuff. And remember, I told you that I surrounded myself with Christians. Now, I never woke up in the morning and was like, man, you know what? I can't wait to just be a hypocrite today. <laughs> like, I can't wait to just wake up and just fool everybody and try to sin and get away with it. And I don't think I'm talking to anybody like that here. Like, I think we're all just trying to love God the best we know how. But the Bible says that we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So let's get knowledge and stop the destruction. Because what happens is when you compare yourself among yourself, you got a lot of problems. Because on that day, we're going to be compared to the word of God. Not culture. Not what's happening at the time. Not people's opinions on the Bible. We're going to be compared to this word. 
And when I stand before God, everything that I've done apart from him is going to be burned up and all that's going to be left is me and him. And what am I going to have to say about my life? Well, God, everyone else was doing it. I mean, what did you expect, you know? Like, that's super weird, but that's how I lived. And what happens is when you begin to live this way for weeks and months and years, you get desensitized to sin. All of a sudden, it just becomes normal, and now I'm not struggling with sin. I'm just, I'm just that's my life. I'm not having this internal war of like, I know what I should do, but I can't do it. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. That wasn't me. It was playing in the worship band. And then it was, we all go downtown. Like, that's life. And so that kind of lifestyle just progressed. I, I, I was in the military, like I said, uh, training guys for war. And... All of a sudden, my partying started to pick up a little bit because life started to happen. First, I had a soldier, 20, 23 years old, died in Afghanistan, married, had a kid, gets killed in Afghanistan. Six weeks later, his best friend, one of my soldiers also, kills himself because he can't handle the fact that his best friend is gone. So I go to two of my soldiers' funerals within six weeks, 22 years old. I'm not really doing that well anymore. And now I'm having to try to fill this void that I have with other stuff. A couple months later, I end up going to Afghanistan. I wanted to. That's why I joined. I wanted to serve. And I dealt with all the things that we dealt with there. We were bombed over 155 times on my little camp. Not even just talking about going out on a mission and getting shot at with rockets and guns and everything else. On my camp where I would be woken up from sleep by rocket attacks and have to try to run to a bunker and wonder if I'm going to make it that day. 155 times in six months. And all I could think was, you know what, at least if I die, I'll go to heaven. That's all I had to hold on to. And I get home from Afghanistan and I'm trying to process the trauma of that and PTSD. My body's freaking out against my own will. It was crazy. And uh, by the way, the Lord can heal you of PTSD. So if you need healing from that, we'll pray tonight. It's not hard for God. And so I get home from that, and I'm processing this. And a few months after this happens, one of my best friends who I made it home from Afghanistan with dies in a car accident in New Jersey. And now I'm really not doing well. But I'm still drumming for my church. I'm still trying to do the Christian thing. Now, I, like I said, I didn't wake up and say, man, I just need to try to be a Christian today. I'm, I'm just doing what I think I should be doing. Going to church, playing the drums, going downtown, drinking with my friends, partying with my friends, just trying to cope. Just trying to make it through life. And before I knew it, life became all about me. It had always been about me, but there was just a moment where I realized it is all about me. You see, I was 24 years old. I had a five-bedroom house, a Mustang GT a Jeep Wrangler, I had a motorcycle, I had a dog, I had money in the bank, I could Uber Eats whenever I wanted to. Like I had everything that I wanted. I didn't need a million dollars, I had everything that I wanted. A million dollars would just buy me more stuff. I already had what I wanted. I also wanted to be dead at that time. I had a very successful military career. I had generals telling me, you're gonna be where I'm at one day. That's what I wanted, and I wanted to be dead because none of that stuff 
could feel what was happening inside of me. But I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of floating through life now. And I remember flying home from uh, Buffalo where my friend is buried in Eden. And I just said, I don't even care if this plane goes down. I didn't care about me. I didn't care about anyone on the plane. I was just hoping that thing would go down because I was done. I was so grayed out in my emotions. I was just done with life. But I had everything I could ever want. It didn't make sense to me. But I didn't want to be alive. And so this girl, she, she reaches out to me. She's from my church. And she says, hey, do you want to go to dinner with me? And I'm like, yeah, you know. Sure. <laughs> and so we go to dinner. And I just remember sitting there. And I'm trying to, like, put my life back together on my own. You know, how many of you have ever tried to just, like, start over? You know, I'm just going to start over. Listen, if it's not in the Lord, it's, it's not going anywhere. It's like a New Year's resolution. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll be this, like, drummer. And I bought all this drumming equipment, and I was trying to record, and I was trying to do covers and all this stuff. And so I'm starting to feel like I'm becoming someone again because I have a thing to work towards now. I don't, I don't necessarily want to be dead anymore. I just, you know, filled that void with recording drums. And so she asked me to go out to dinner, and I'm like, sure. And I remember I'm looking at this menu, and she goes, hey, Shane. And I'm like, Yeah. We, we weren't that close at all. Like, we had hung out maybe twice with other people. So this is like our first one-on-one. And she's like, I know who you are. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> she says, you think you're this awesome drummer, this paratrooper, this wrestling coach. I coached wrestling at a high school. You think you're this awesome military officer. You're not. You're not awesome. And you know what? I don't even know if you're saved. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So, let's, you have my attention, you know? Close the menu. And then she began to tell me the gospel. Like the real gospel. Not pray this prayer to go to heaven someday, and then I'm left wondering why am I in hell on earth? Because I didn't need another comfortable message in that moment. I didn't need to know how to have a better day. I needed to know how to have a brand new life. I needed to know that Jesus actually came to give me that new life and take my old one completely away. I needed to hear that, and I needed to know why he did it, and it was because of love. Because Hebrews says that he came because of the joy that was set before him. That's why he chose the cross. Did you know that Jesus is the only person who was born to die? He was born in pursuit of death. And the reason is so that you could know God. I never heard that growing up. I just heard that he died because I'm a wretched sinner and I better pray this prayer and make sure you're not sinning when the rapture happens. <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> And so she starts telling me this gospel, and my heart is just, like, coming alive because it's true. You know what I mean? I've been drinking, like, stale water for 25 years, and she's just giving me, like, the truth. And then she tells me something I'll never forget. I never heard anything like this in church before. She says, Shane, I've prayed for someone who had a tumor on their stomach, and it shrunk under my hand. Jesus healed her. And I was like, oh, yes. You know, I was so pumped. I was like, Yes. There's more to Christianity than waking up and trying not to sin and waiting for heaven. That's what my life had become. 
at best, I would try not to sin, if I could think about it. You know, the bad sins. Not like pornography and sleeping around and drinking and partying and revelries and drunkenness and abominable, you know, all that stuff. That wasn't bad because everyone did that. I'm talking about the bad sins, you know, like drugs, you know, like, you know, like having a baby out of wedlock, you know, stuff like that. To me, that was really, that was sin. You know what I mean? You see how weird we get when we play God and we start ranking sin? You know, God cares even about the little sins, like a lot. <laughs> she just got really quiet. <laughs> and so I had this revelation, and she's telling me this, and all of a sudden, I was so aware for the first time in my life that I had sinned before God. Like the story of the prodigal son, when he's talking about going back home, he says, I've sinned against my father and against heaven. I had a revelation, oh my gosh, for 25 years, my life has been all about me, and it means nothing to God. I have never lived for you, not one day of my life. And I started to weep because the Spirit of God came inside of me because I believed what I was hearing. I knew, man, there is more to this life. There's more than what I've heard. And I said, hey, I've got to go. And I drove home and I opened my Bible on my bed. And I said, Jesus, I have never lived for you one day in my life. I've played so many conferences. I've played so many churches. I have seen thousands of people come to Christ through the worship. And I've never lived for you a day in my life. But tonight I'm giving you my life. And I got born again on my bed. And I've never been the same since. I started reading my Bible. I started reading in John. I started reading about Jesus who's healing the sick and doing all these miracles. And then he's teaching his disciples to do the same thing. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now, I'm a military officer at this point. I'm all about training and, you know, getting my guy. Because if I get killed, like, my guy's got to be able to carry it out. You know, if I die and my whole platoon completely gets wiped out because they don't have a leader, then I did a horrible job. Like, if I get taken out of the picture, they should be okay because they understand the mission, they have the authority to do it. So I'm reading the Bible from that perspective, and I'm like, wait a minute. Jesus healed the sick, he taught his disciples to do it, and cast out demons, and then they went and did it, and then he told them, go to all the earth and make more disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I looked up in the Hebrew, everything actually means everything. <laughs> Not just some things, right? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is for me. And I got really stoked. And so I started praying for people on the street every day. At this time, I was exiting the military and I was in the police academy to become a, a cop because, you know, at the, at the height of my army career, my budding military career, God says, okay, time to quit. And I'm like, you sure? <laughs> this is a pretty sure thing. You know, I can retire at 41. I don't know if you know about the retirement program, God. And he's like, quit. So I became a cop in 2016. Really great time to be a cop in the nation, south of Seattle. Really great place to be a cop. And so I'm in the police academy, and I'm, like, having these encounters with God, and I'm starting to pray for the sick, and I'm praying for, like, hundreds of people. I'm praying for my classmates, you know, and I'm like, did anything happen? And they're like, no. 
And I'm like, it's okay, like God's amazing, you know? And they're like, you're weird, man. And I remember sitting in my car, I prayed for probably 500 people and never saw a single thing. And I said, God, you really need to start healing people because you're looking a little silly out there. You know, I remember sitting in my Jeep, like having this conversation with like God, you know, he created everything. And I'm like, you're looking really silly because I'm telling these people that you can heal them and then nothing's happening. So like, I just want you to know I'm never going to quit. And I got out of my Jeep and there's a homeless guy right there. Like, it's like he was placed there. And he's like, do you have a couple bucks, man? Because, you know, where I lived, homeless people are everywhere. Like, go look up pictures of Seattle. It's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I have a couple bucks, but can I pray for you? And he's like, yeah, I got this knee thing. And so, like, I'm kind of a skeptic a little bit because I've just, I want to know for sure. So I, like, I won't touch a person. I'll hover my hand, even to this day. You know, I hover. And so I'm, like, on my knees, like, hovering around this guy's knee. And I'm like, God, you love this man. In Jesus' name, I command this knee. And he goes, whoa, and he, like, kicks his leg out. It scares me. And I'm like, what, dude? And he's like, my knee just got really hot, man. And I'm like, okay. What? He's like, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. Like, test it out, you know. I'm, I'm just as freaked out as you. And he starts doing laps around the parking lot. Totally healed right there. Comes back. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> praise God. I didn't do anything. And he comes back and he's like, okay, do another one. My kidney is real bad and I got a toe thing. And he's just like, he wants the whole deal, man. And I was like, yes, you know, this, this is for now. This is God, you're so real. And I was hooked from that day. Because I had encountered God on my bed and I had sought after the Lord with my whole heart. And the Bible says if you seek him with everything inside of you, you're going to find him. But the problem is, I don't know if most people in the church have sought after God with their whole heart. We've become comfortable. And I'm not here to make you feel comfortable. I've heard that a pastor's job is to comfort the disturbed. And an evangelist's job is to disturb the comfortable. So that's why I'm here tonight. To disturb you. Because you might be comfortable. And I want you to examine yourself and say, man, have I actually given my life to God. You see, I thought I had given my life to God because I would pray every day and I went to church on Sundays. Do you know how I would pray? God, I just, uh, I pray, if I remember to pray, by the way, I would say, God, you know, I got this big meeting today and um, can you just help everything to just work out and my brakes are going out of my Mustang and that's not going to be cheap. I just pray you would help me in that way, and oh man, I'm running late. Can I please just catch all the green lights on the way to work? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Yeah, just met with the Lord right there. And that was like my prayer, guys. Now, maybe you've never prayed anything like that. I'm the only one. But you see, my prayer life started to become about me and making sure all of my ducks in a row. But what happens is, if some of your ducks aren't in a row, all of a sudden, you're not doing so good. And I can't tell you how many people I know that have completely walked away from the faith because a couple weeks went by, a couple months went by, a couple years went by when their prayers weren't answered. And so they said, you know what, I don't even, God doesn't really answer me anymore. I don't, I don't know if this Christian thing's working out for me. And that breaks my heart. Because you see why they're in it. It's for them. 
If you're walking away because it ain't working out for you, then you got in it for you. But when I read my Bible, it says that I'm supposed to be dead, actually. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. Colossians 3, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Put off the old, put on the new. The old man is dead. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Sounds like the old you is supposed to be dead. No one told me that. It was just about how to have a better day and how to steward your finances. And Tony Robbins would come in with the Christian spin on it. And the reason that we don't have hope and the reason that the body right now doesn't even know its identity is because we're trying to receive it from a world that was never meant to give us our identity in the first place. You see, we were made in the image of God, but we're letting a world that doesn't know its own identity try to tell us what ours should be. And we get hopeless because all of a sudden life ain't going the way that it's supposed to go. But you know, when I read in Philippians 2, it says this, do all things without complaining and disputing. How many things? All. All. That's hard. All things. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You think that applies today? You think we're living in a perverse generation? Yeah. Guess what our, our job is, the rest of that verse? Among whom you shine as lights. Holding fast to the popular culture? No. Holding fast to whatever's woke at the time? No. Holding fast to the word of life. But if we're not in this word and this word ain't getting in us, then when we get squeezed by life, Christ is not what's coming out. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? Because when you complain and you dispute, you look like everybody else because you put a basket over your head and you're not shining a light for anybody. Is it okay if I'm straight with you guys? What kind of testimony do we have if we go through the same trials? Because you know the Bible says there's no favoritism in trials. Don't be shocked that you're going through a trial. Everybody's going through trials. That's what the Bible says. Don't consider it strange that you're going through a trial. So what happens when I'm going through the same trial as an unbeliever and I respond the same way? Complaining, grumbling, disputing, crying, reaching out, getting on 10 prayer chains so that I can feel better because I just don't feel God anymore. I'm just being honest, guys. This is the stuff that's destroying us. Because I'm walking through a trial with an unbeliever, the same exact response, and then I want to invite them to church on Sunday. Oh, man, you got to come to my church. Why, man? I already got what you got. I'm not giving up my Sunday. I'd rather watch football. But what happens when you understand why you were created and why Jesus actually came? Because it ain't about getting you a plane ticket to heaven. And it ain't about sitting here and waiting for life to get better. And when it doesn't, we pray that God would just come save us from the big bad devil in the rapture. Because when we pray for Jesus to just go ahead and come back already, we're saying to heaven with me and to hell with everybody else. I need to ride out of here, man. It's getting tough. You were created to be the light of the world. Do you not know that Colossians 1.21 says that your sin makes you an enemy of God? The way you think, the way you act, your very nature is hostile towards God. Hostile. 
That's not comfortable to preach. I don't hear that a lot. Hey, you know the way you were born? It wasn't inherently good. It's actually hostile towards God, and he hates the way that you think. But he loves you so much, Romans 5, 8, that he demonstrated that love by sending Jesus anyways. Why? Because Jesus knew what he was getting. He knew who you were when he put his spirit inside of you. And when he hung on that cross, he wasn't saying, hey, are you happy? Hope you're happy. Look what your sin did to me. Get a good look. You better pray that prayer and you better act right. Because I'm coming back one day and you better be on the right list. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus saw you at your worst moment and said, I know who you are. I never changed my mind about you. I know who you can be. If you just give me your life, I'll make you a new creation. Come on. That's my Jesus. And it says that the reason that he died was so that you could have a new life. And in the sight of God, this is Colossians 1.21. You can look it up. I read it. He could take you, a sinner that's hostile and wicked towards God, and present you to that same God as holy, righteous, and above reproach. Above reproach means of extreme integrity, perfection. Holy, blameless, and righteous before the sight of God if you're born again. So now I'm not waking up and biting my lip and trying to be religious and trying not to sin. I'm waking up and I'm saying, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you have put your life inside of me. Thank you, God, that you've made me brand new. I never could have done this myself. I was so stuck in the world. I was so stuck in my sin, and you loved me anyways. And your truth and your love pulled me out of that place. And, Father, I thank you that it doesn't matter if someone says a bad thing about me today. You said if someone doesn't love, it means that they don't know God. And now my heart actually breaks for people instead of because of them. Because if someone doesn't know God, then I know what kind of place they must be in, and that breaks my heart. Thank you for setting me free from offense, God. Lord, I don't need anyone to say a good thing about me today. You've already affirmed me when you sent your son on the cross. Thanks for loving me, God. Oh, you feel the power in that prayer? I didn't know you could pray like that for 25 years or I would have been doing it, trust me. But as soon as I found out I could, I do it every day and now I'm like this and I'm getting worse. (laughs) And I'm just really okay. And then I figure out what it means to forgive someone who wrongs you, like when someone tried to murder me when I was a cop last year and almost succeeded. And I wanted to go to work the next morning. <laughs> now, either listen, either I'm psychotic and I need therapy and medication or God's really real. I guess we'll find out. Because when I get hit by this stolen RV and thrown 30 feet in the air, I'm not wondering, like, what's that thing about forgiveness again? Ah. It's too late, man. Whatever's in you is coming out when you get squeezed by life or touched by the devil. And praise God that I've been in my prayer closet when none of you guys were looking for years, just letting this thing get into me. And I don't say that with pride. That's a privilege that I have. Man, I've been praying when none of y'all knew about it. I sing songs to God just to love on him when nobody knows. I have preached for six years without a video camera or a microphone. Because God has so wrecked my heart, he's wounded me with a longing for his people. And you can't preach the way I'm preaching about being free for six years and not go through some stuff. The devil tried to kill my wife in the middle of my nationwide tour and nobody knew about it. Because we're just really okay. God's really real. And she's pregnant, by the way. She's five months pregnant. Now she's nine months pregnant. Yeah, praise God. 
And so you know what happens when all of a sudden I don't respond to life the same way an unbeliever does. Because I'm not an unbeliever, I'm a believer, so that means I believe this book. And so all of a sudden when I'm going through this trial, we didn't tell a bunch of people. When I got hit by that RV and I went home early, I didn't reach out in a bunch of prayer chains and ask them to pray for me because I'm really under an attack right now. I just said, God, man, thanks for loving me. Forgive that guy. Doesn't know what he's doing. Man, thanks for loving me, God. And then I just spent the night with my wife. And you know, weeks down the road, no one knew that this happened. And I finally let the cat out of the bag. You know what the response was? What? That was you? Dude, I saw that video on the news. I saw the ring light doorbell. I had no idea that was you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That was just a couple weeks ago. You were at my house like the next week. You didn't say anything. You seem fine. I'm like, yeah, I know. I am fine. Because <laughs> I'm not wearing what I've been through. I'm trying to wear what he's been through. My life ain't about how it's going. You see, the Christian victory is not never getting touched by the devil. The Christian victory is not retiring at the end of your life with just full stocks and barns and all of these things. And you got the perfect family and your kids are in college and they're set up for success. That's not the Christian victory. That's not what Jesus asked if he would find when he comes back. He said, will I find faith? And my Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't say it ain't going to touch you. Two of my buddies got shot on duty last year. They ain't dead. So the enemy didn't prosper. Don't mean you're not going to get hit sometimes. But what's sad, what, what makes me sad is the enemy knows at large he could touch a Christian. We're going to freak out, ask 10 friends for prayer, and we're going to take a nap. Because we don't understand the great privilege that we have to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ. We don't understand that when the enemy touches you, you can turn around and pull the sword of truth out and cut his hands off. We don't understand that it's not about not getting touched by the devil. Listen, in the book of Job, he told God what his motives were from the start. It wasn't to take Job's money or his crops, or his family, or his health. He said, God, nobody loves you. They love what you do for them. Watch this. Everything gets taken away from him, he'll curse you to your face. Watch. And he's saying the same thing right now. You see, the enemy's not after your money. He's after this. He's not after your health. He's after this. He's not after your family. He's after this because he knows if he touches that area, this thing is going to spin for the most part in a Christian. And that makes me sad. Because we don't understand. We don't hold on to this thing for dear life. When we don't see this thing manifesting, we just come up with the plan B and we try to take the reins into our own hands. And all of a sudden, we're trying to finish in the flesh what we started in the spirit. And what you're doing is digging up that, that precious flower before it blooms, right when it's really getting rooted in, and you're just nervous because it hasn't sprouted yet, and you're like, well, let me just take a look. And you pull that thing up, and all the roots come with it, and you realize, man, that thing was just getting ready to come up. We do that all the time. And the way that we win, I want to equip you guys, the way that we win is you just die. Like, you just die. 
you die. Because the devil can't threaten you with your life if you're already dead. Check this out. Revelation. We overcome the enemy three ways. By the blood of the lamb. You know the second one? Word of our testimony, right? And that's usually where it stops. Like big drum solo, you know? The blood and the word. Yeah, God, we worship you. (laughs) The third one. And they did not love their own lives unto death. Because if you love your own life to the point of death, the first two don't even matter. Think about that. Your pride and your selfishness have the power to completely subvert the blood of Jesus. Wow. How do I know? Look at Peter. Oh, I'll die for you tonight. No, you won't. Oh, Lord, I'll I'll die for you this night. But when his life was on the line, what did he do? He denied Jesus three times. The last time he was swearing when he did it. He was cursing. Violently denying Jesus just to get this thing ticking for a little bit longer. But if you die to yourself, then the enemy has nothing to take from you. Oh, you want to touch my finances? So what? I'm never going to stop trusting in God. God's going to provide for me. You want to touch my health? You want to touch my wife? So what? I'm not alive for my wife. I'm alive for you, God, and I'll never take my eyes off of you, and I'll never stop trusting you. I don't care what I'm seeing or what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing. You want to speak lies to me? So what? They're not true. The Bible's true. I don't care how I feel. Listen, I stopped waking up to have a good day almost six years ago when I got born again. I'm not waking up to have a good day anymore. I'm waking up to shine for him. And when you wake up to shine, all of a sudden you get really free from the issues of life. And when you're free from the issues of life, they don't control you anymore. You don't have anxiety anymore. You don't have depression anymore. You don't want to kill yourself anymore because you're already dead. And now it's Christ who's living in you, the hope of glory. And now all of a sudden, a couple years born again, people are asking me a crazy question. Because before a quarter of a century in the church, people asked me this. How'd you get so much money, man? How'd you get that house? 24 years old, that's pretty great, dude. How'd you get that car? How'd you get this? Superficial, means nothing. You know what people are asking me a little bit into being born again? Dude, I I saw, I saw what you walked through and how you just responded. I saw how they totally abused you in that position and you just took it every week. You didn't say anything, you just served faithfully. I saw how you treat people. Man, I saw... What is it about you? What is it? What is inside of you? I need what you have. <laughs> First Peter 3:15, baby. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that's inside of you. Weird. When I actually got born again, that verse started to apply to my life because now I have something to give a defense about. Because he became more than just my confession. He became more than just someone I'm going to meet one day when I die. And you know what? No one had to tell me to stop looking at porn. No one had to tell me to stop going out and drinking. No one had to tell me to stop watching these horrible movies and listening to this music. I didn't have anyone discipling me. I just remember waking up and I didn't want to do that. It was like my heart changed. Or all of a sudden, I'd be watching a show that I watched for 10 years. Loved it. Had every, every episode memorized. 
And I'd be watching it, and I'd, ha- and I'd laugh at a joke that was not clean. And I would just have a thought. Do you think I'm laughing at that, Shane? And I was like, oh, God, no. Got rid of the show. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, when you actually give your life to Jesus, and I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about when you give your life to Christ, it's going to look different. God's going to start to speak to you about some areas in your life. He has to purify you because I'm telling you that holiness matters to God. Righteousness matters to God. And when you're walking in righteousness and when you're dead to yourself, guess what? You're starting to think about other people. And so now I'm at the grocery store just running some errands and I see a woman with a cast and I'm not thinking, man, I got all this stuff to do. I got to get here and here and I got to deal with this and I got to do that. I'm just loving God and I'm saying, man, thanks for loving me, God. You're so amazing. Oh my gosh, this woman has a cast on. Hey, what happened to you? I never would have asked before. I didn't care. I was doing my own thing, man. I got stuff to do. I got places to be. Time is money. Only got one life. I don't got time to be dealing with you and all your stuff. But now I see differently. And so I say, what happened to you? What, how'd you get in that cast? Oh, I, I hurt my arm. I fell and I broke my elbow. Oh my gosh, can I just pray for you really quick? I just believe God will heal you. Yeah, sure, I guess so. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you love this woman. I command every bit of pain to leave right now. Say, elbow, be healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, when I was praying, I just heard the name Sarah. Does that mean anything to you? She's crying. That's my daughter. Yeah, I just feel like God, there's something there. God wants to just, you guys have, you guys had a really bad fight and God just wants to repair some stuff. Yeah, how do you know that? Because God's real. Come on, let's pray. You need to forgive her, don't you? Yeah, I do. Come on, let's pray. Guys, this is the Christian life. I didn't go out trying to do ministry. I'm just living and I can't help it. Christ is just coming out. This is the Christian life. How many of you want to live a life where Christ is just coming out of you? Where everywhere you go, five of you, amazing. Where everywhere you go, God is just using you. This isn't for the evangelist. This isn't for the pastor. The Bible says that these signs follow those who believe. So it sounds like you have the great privilege of believing what this word says. You have the great privilege. It's not an obligation. It's not some religious work. It is a privilege to give people the kingdom that desperately need it. You want to see revival, that's amazing, but do you love your neighbor? Like, do you talk to your waitress about God? She's stuck with you for 45 minutes. Do you talk to the grocer? Like, they're going to ring all your stuff out. They're not going anywhere. Like, do you even think to do that? And I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm saying, guys, we have grown up. We've been raised to think for ourselves. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden, life's going to become all about us, and there's going to be no room for him. And we want to see revival in this country, don't we? And that's amazing, guys. But are we revived? Like, do I have anything to offer this country, actually? Am I revived? Because if I want to rock New York City for God, I can't be getting rocked by the issues of life. 
every time trials and stuff come, we're just we're losing our identity and we forgot why we're alive and we're wondering where God is and how could he let this happen and where are you and I thought I did this and all of a sudden we're qualifying ourselves for why we shouldn't be going through a trial. Instead of saying, God, I love you, thank you so much that you are perfecting me, you're shaping me, you're molding me in the midst of this thing. I'm not gonna let this break me, Father, I'll never take my eyes off of you. Thank you for loving me. Man, there was a day I was so lost. And you set me free. You love me, God. I love you. And I just worship you and I honor you. And all of a sudden, you're just praying for an hour, speaking truth over yourself. You start doing that, man, and you're going to be a different person because you're renewing your mind with the word, with truth. And you're disconnecting from being led by emotions. But the problem is, and I'm trying to wrap up here. I know I want to make sure we have time to do ministry. The problem is this, when we're a hopeless people, the the world has no one to look to. Like, we are supposed to be a light that is put on a lampstand to provide light to the whole town. But if the church looks like the world, then no one has any light to look to. We can't be letting the issues of life put a basket over our heads so that we're not shining. But if we want to shine, we must be filled with that light. And I would have told you for 25 years that I was a Christian until I actually became one. I would have backed it up with a verse. I would have said, yeah, why are you a Christian? Because I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old. I gave my life to Jesus in that church. I even got dunked in the baptismal after that. And I've been attending every Sunday. That's why I'm a Christian. I prayed that prayer. That's what I would have told you. I prayed the prayer when I was seven. Didn't matter that I look like the world, sound like the world, talk like the world, watch what the world watched, did what the world did. Hey, praise and bless God, I'm going to heaven one day because I prayed a prayer. I can't find that in my Bible. Jesus said to follow me. I want to ask you guys something. Imagine that I was late here. I was late and I was like, guys, I'm sorry that I was late. Listen, we're on the way. And we, we had to take the highway, and when we were on the highway, my wheel fell off of my car, and so I had to pull over, and I started changing the tire, and the bolt for my wheel flew out into the middle of the road, and I went out to grab it, and I didn't see there was a semi-truck coming, and the semi-truck hit me at 80 miles an hour, and that's why I'm late. You would be like, um, there's no way that that happened. There's no way that you encountered such a powerful force and you weren't changed. But we claim to have encountered the living God and we look exactly the same. Listen, I'm going to have a son in December. And one day he's going to say a few words. He's going to say, Dada, Mama, Jesus, you know. And that's awesome. But what happens when he's 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, and he's still saying, Dada, Mama, someone's going to say, hey, man, I think there's something wrong with your boy. He's not growing. But we have people that claim to be Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They look exactly the same as when they said yes to God. But praise God, I prayed the prayer and I'm in church every Sunday. You know, there was a man, he was a businessman, and he was running late for work one morning, and he's coming down the stairs, and he's trying to put his jacket on, and shoes aren't even tied, and he's about to run out the door, and his wife says, honey, will you just take out the trash on your way out? I know you're in a rush. It's trash day. It's overflowing. 
And he's like, take out the trash? Are you kidding me? I'm going to be late. I don't even know if I'll be able to catch a cab in time. I'm going to miss my meeting if I don't go right now. And you want me to take out the trash? You take out the trash. Slams the door behind him. And he's on the way to work, and he's just like, take out the trash? Are you kidding me? What are you doing all day? You take it out. Just justifying it. One night he comes to a meeting like this, and he hears the gospel, and he decides to give his life to Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, a couple weeks later, he's got this big meeting with the CEO. He's got to greet the CEO, and his new iPhone didn't update, and it fell off the charger, and his alarm didn't go off, and so he's up late again. And he's like, oh, this is the worst possible day to be late, and he's rushing again. Doesn't even have his tie on. He has nothing ready. He's trying to run out the door, and his wife's like, honey, hey, do so well at your meeting. Will you take this trash out? It's overflowing again. Today's trash day. I don't want to miss it. And he's like, again with the trash? Are you kidding me? This is the most important meeting in my life. There's no way I can be late. Why don't you take the trash out? And he slams the door again. And on the way to work, he's just miserable. And he's getting eaten alive inside. And he gets to work and his boss is like, hey, are you ready? Like, it's a big day. You ready for this? He's like, no, I'm not. I need to call my wife. And he picks up the phone, and he's like, honey, I am so sorry for the way that I talked to you. I never should have spoken to you that way. Please forgive me. I was rushing. I was totally in my flesh. Please forgive me. I I don't want to act this way towards you. Now, what's the difference here? Because we had the same exact response in both scenarios. There was conviction in the man's life. You see, God wouldn't let him do whatever he wanted to do. God would not let this man talk to his wife however he wanted. And I want to ask you tonight to examine yourself. Can you sin? Can you live in the world? Can you do whatever you want and not even care and never be corrected by God? Because I lived that way for my whole life. And I would have told you that God's my father. But the Bible says that God disciplines those that are his kids. Imagine if I had a 13-year-old son and I let him run around downtown New York City at 3 a.m. And I knew about it. And then when he came home, I never did anything. Never disciplined, never talked to him. Would you call me a good father? No. You'd call me a derelict father and he's an illegitimate child. But we claim that God is our father and we can just do whatever we want and have no conviction whatsoever. And people ask me all the time, how do I know that I'm saved? Is God fathering you? Because if God's your father, he won't let you live however you want. And I'm here to bring a fire inside of you, but if you want to walk this thing out, you must be born again. You can't do this stuff in your flesh. You might like the idea of being a Christian. You might want to be a Christian, but are you a Christian? I don't care if you've never said yes to Jesus in your life or you think that you're a Christian, but you've heard my testimony and you're like, now I'm not so sure, but I know I want to give my life to Jesus. Listen, if that's you and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, you have to come forward right now so that we can pray for you. If there is anyone here tonight that needs to give your life to Jesus, I'm asking you to come forward right now in front of all these people, in front of heaven, 
and say, God, I need to live for you. I need to give you my life. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, before we pray for this, friends, I got to say this. I say this every time. Please listen to me if you haven't heard anything else. The Bible says that there's a place that you can get where it's impossible to renew you to repentance. That means that you have so hardened your own heart that it's impossible for you to ever say yes to God again, to repent. And you can't come to God whenever you want. The Bible says you must be drawn by His Spirit, and tonight His Spirit is drawing people. That's why they're here. They've responded to the drawing. And if there's even 1% of your heart that knows that you should be up here because Jesus has not been your life, I want you to know that it's not too late for you, that you're not too hardened. If there's 1% of your heart that feels like it should be up here, you must come up here right now because you don't know that you'll ever hear the gospel again. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but you can give your life to Jesus tonight. And if there's anybody else, I'm asking you, please, do not harden your hearts again to the Lord. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Come on. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Don't come up here if you're not serious about giving your life to Jesus. I don't care about numbers. I'm not reporting this. This is for you. Because if someone would have told me this when I was 25, I would have ran to the front crying. I didn't need to be comforted that I was saved because I prayed a prayer one time. I knew that Jesus had never had a day of my life. Thank you, God. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen, the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not anything that we do. It's a supernatural gift from God. You're saved because you believe. Romans says that you confess with your mouth what your heart already believes, and you're here because your heart screamed yes long before you ever ran up to this altar. And so all I want to do, come on. Thank you, Lord. All I want to do is put words to what you're feeling inside. And so I'm going to ask you, to just say this prayer. I'm going to pray and I want you to talk to God. Don't just say what I'm saying. I want you to talk to God tonight. I want you to say this out loud. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son for me. I believe in you. I confess that I've sinned and I haven't lived for you but I declare that tonight my life is yours I ask you to forgive me of all my sin 
be my Lord, my master, and my savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. You have my yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, guys, give it up for these people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray. I want to pray over you guys before we sit down. Let's just reach a hand towards these friends, these new family members in the faith. Father, I thank you for every single person up here who said yes to your call. And Lord God, I thank you that tonight they are brand new creations, people who have never existed before. I thank you, Father, that the old them is dead and you've put a new person in their place. I thank you that all their sin has been completely erased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fall on these friends right now. Fill them, Holy Spirit. Fill them, Lord. I thank you that they never have to know a day apart from your presence. And I thank you that right now and forever, they are seen by you as holy, blameless, and righteous because of what Jesus did. And I bless them right now. We bless them as a church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You guys can sit down. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, isn't he good? Thank you, Lord. 